0: Hey, everybody, just a quick warning that today's episode contains a few mentions of mature adult themes, so just don't listen to it around little kids. Thanks. Abscond with Ethan Renault, episode four. Boy. Boy. Hey, everybody, welcome to Abscond Podcast with me, Ethan Renault. We launched this podcast about a year and a half ago released three episodes, and then completely stopped. And there's a reason for that. Um, I was living in Chicago at the time, and the reason we started the podcast in the first place was because um, this guy named Mark Breda reached out to me, and he said, Hey, I used to produce radio shows for your uncle, Mark Eccle, back when he was a professor at Moody Bible Institute. And he had heard about me through the dumb viral video of me running in the rain and then read my blog posts and then said, hey, uh, these aren't bad. Why don't we launch a podcast of Ethan talking about stuff? I was living in Chicago at the time as well, so Mark and I met up along with our other co-host, Steve Hiller, and we essentially recorded those three episodes of Abscon Podcast with Ethan Renault. And then I moved away from Chicago back here to Denver, where I am now, and the podcast just kind of went to the wayside. But now it's 2018, and I decided, hey, why don't I just order myself a fancy microphone or two, and I can pick up where I left off. I've got a lot to talk about, a lot on my mind, and people seem to continue to read and listen to what I say, so may as well give it another shot. So currently I'm sitting in my church in my pastor's office to be specific because I figure that's one of the quietest places in the world. He doesn't even have a computer or anything in here, just books and books and books and books. Um, and it's kind of secluded away from the rest of the world in this small neighborhood where the church is. So that's where I am now in Denver. Um sitting by myself And I figured that the best way to kind of relaunch this podcast would be to um, just kind of talk about what's going on in my life the past year or so, hopefully in an engaging way that you're not like, I don't care at all about this guy's life or this podcast or anything else, Um, or else you probably wouldn't be listening right now. So I moved to Denver um, just under a year and a half ago, and since then I've been a youth pastor here at this church. I won't say the name of it for the privacy of my kids, but I love my kids so much. Um, I also hate them so much, but they're amazing. And uh, they drive me crazy, and I want to light them on fire, but I also love them. In case you haven't seen it, I've also revived my YouTube channel in addition to reviving this podcast. And recently I put out a post called Hello Ladies, where I basically invited everybody to comment or write in um, to email me at um Things that you'd want to hear me talk about or interview people about or things that you basically are interested in. The reason I called that video Hello Ladies is because I realized that 89% of my viewers slash listeners slash readers are female and 11% are male. So... Um, I really hope that I can put out content that will interest both genders. Sorry, the phone just rang and I had to pause recording for a second. So I got a lot of really great feedback on that video, and I'm going to read a few of the comments on the video, and not so much the emails I've received, just because there have been so many of them. Um... Your videos about pornography and waiting for marriage have been very helpful to me, a 19-year-old lady. Hey, Ethan, maybe you can do videos on the Christian perspective of certain popular topics like race, marriage, love, politics, modesty. And someone wrote, yes, I second this. Those are all kind of things I have covered in the past in my blog. And the way I see this podcast going is a way to kind of go more in-depth on those topics more of a long-form type of discussion on things I may have written about in the past or things I'm thinking about in the present, whereas YouTube tends to... I try to aim for five to ten minutes, just kind of cursory introductions to things. My blogs may be a bit longer than that as far as the depth they go into, but the podcast, what you're listening to right now, is where I see the most ability to go deepest into whatever it is we're talking about, because there aren't as many time constraints, you can listen to it while you're doing other things, and we can really just dive deeply into some of these topics, which I am super excited about. Uh, a lady named Sheila commented, it would also be great to have couples who waited until marriage be on the show. Looking forward to the podcast. Thank you, Sheila. B, Commented, you were so funny, Ethan. How about finding your God-given purpose, how to use your gifts or talents to honor God, your personal testimony, roles of men and women, just to name a few ideas, smiley face. James comments, FYI, there is at least one 52-year-old gay man watching you. LOL. Uh, thanks so much, James. I'm really, really excited that you um, would watch and listen or read to the things I have to say. Uh, really glad you're here, and I hope that um, I can produce some content that will really interest you and welcome you as well. Victoria, I'd say that 89% of your viewers are young ladies because we don't see the male perspective on the waiting process much often on YouTube. Um, I'd say that's true. I mean, because I went to Bible school and now am in seminary, I definitely know more guys who are in that boat. But I definitely agree that in general, in our culture, you see a lot more men just kind of doing the whole sleep around thing, even within the church, which is really, really sad to me. Um, And I think that comes kind of from the fault of the church or teachers within the church who kind of fail to help us understand why we would do something like wait until marriage. It's easy to just say don't, 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 don't without giving reasons to back up why, why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I do this? Why shouldn't I do that? And that's something I've tried to address in the past but I feel like it's such a huge and complex topic that um, it's definitely something we'll keep talking about and keep looking at over time. um, Really understanding the purpose of virginity and the value of chastity until marriage um, and within marriage. Um, Real quick, just so you know, the definition of chastity is not remaining a virgin your entire life. Chastity simply refers to keeping sex in its proper God-given place. So, for instance, a married couple who only has sex with one another is a chaste couple. They are pursuing chastity by only sleeping with their spouse. Me, however, as a single man, or person in general, I guess, I am chaste by not sleeping with anybody. However, once I get married, you better believe I will be chaste with my wife. You better believe that. Celibacy, on the other hand, is when someone does commit to being single and a virgin, Or I guess they don't have to be a virgin to be celibate. But someone who pledges the rest of their life uh, to being single and not sleeping with anybody or engaging in any romantic activities. Um, That's just something I hear misunderstood a lot. Someone will ask me, so Ethan, you're a virgin, so you're celibate. And I'm like, no, I'm definitely not celibate. I go on dates fairly often and uh, I'm looking forward to one day having a wife. Um I'm not celibate but I am chaste. Just a very small definition for those of you who didn't know that. Uh looking back at these comments again, someone commented, I like you talking about topics related to being a Christian. Maddie comments, I'd love to hear pieces of some of your blog posts. They're interesting to read, but there's something about hearing an author speaking their work. It could be a spin-off or an elaboration, which would lead back to the blog, like, for more on this, dot, dot, dot. Win-win. Maddie, Maddie, I totally agree. Um, Like I said, that is what I'll be trying to do, is taking these topics I've written about in the past or will write about in the future... And kind of diving in at a deeper level here on the podcast, and obviously in a different medium that you can absorb while you're driving to work or working out or painting the house or whatever. That's why I love podcasts because I can do so many other things while enjoying a good podcast and learning while doing something else with my hands. In case you can't tell, I'm still getting over a cold right now, so I keep having to pause this recording to cough and blow my nose and do other ways of getting phlegm out of my body, so I apologize for that. And looking back at the YouTube comments, the very last one, and actually very fittingly because it's kind of where I wanted to take off for the rest of this episode, Jennifer comments more about your story. So, I really appreciate, Jennifer, that you're interested enough in me and the things I have done with my life to want to hear more about my story, so I guess for the next mm, five to ten minutes or so, that's what I'll talk about and then wrap this podcast up. Hopefully it's not too boring for those of you who'd rather hear me talk about virginity or dating, Um, but... Real quick, I guess the story of Ethan Renau in 10 minutes is, I was born here in Denver, Colorado. My parents are amazing, and my dad's a pastor, so I definitely grew up in the church. But I wouldn't say that that is what necessarily introduced me to the living God, Yahweh, the man Jesus Christ, um, as revealed in the Bible. So I grew up here in Denver, and in 7th grade, my family moved all the way across the country to Cape Cod, Massachusetts, because my dad got another job as a senior pastor out there at a small Baptist church, and obviously 7th grade, I was going into middle school, and it was amazing. I had the most amazing youth pastor, and I loved the youth group at that church. It was so fun, and that really grabbed my desire to be in the church and to uh, be a leader in the church, I guess. Um, In 7th or or 8th grade, you're not necessarily thinking about what you're going to do with your entire future. You're just thinking, boy, this is super fun. I wish we could have youth group every single night. But still, I would say that I would have called myself a Christian without actually having the substance of Belief in God, or like a desire to be with Him and to pray and to experience Him firsthand. It was also in seventh grade that I was walking home with my neighbor who lived across the street. Um, I'm going to call him Ryan for his sake. I was walking home with Ryan, who was another seventh grader, and he started talking about looking at porn and masturbating, and I was like, I don't know what those words mean. And he was like, oh, it's something every guy does when he's in the mood. you got to try it out. And basically told me all about these things that I had no idea of. And to a curious 7th grader who grew up in the church and had kind of been sheltered from these worldly things, it was something that really got my attention. And um, basically from that day on, I don't remember the exact date, but from that day on, I was really, really hooked on porn and masturbation, more than anything else I've ever struggled with in my entire life. Um, just so you know, I have never struggled with anything else. I've never been high. I've never been drunk. I've never even slept with anybody. Um, I've really only kissed a, a couple of girls, and that's really as far as I've gotten. People are always curious about that, so... There you go. But porn and masturbation have been things that, if you've read my blog you already know this, but they're just things that have been struggles for me for my entire life ever since that fall day in 7th grade, walking home from the bus stop with Ryan. And as time went on, I assumed, as many of us do I guess, that these struggles would just go away. That... You know, you get a girlfriend, and you'll stop. Or you get married, and you can sleep with your wife, and you'll stop. And the older I get, the more I realize that porn is destructive to the core. And there wouldn't be so many stories of marriages destroyed by pornography if it were something that simply went away once you could have sex with your wife or husband. So... Obviously, marriage or relationships are not the cure to looking at porn. It's something deeper than that. It's something that kind of sits within us right next to the very core of who we are, I'd say. And um, that's something I love talking about, learning about, and exploring, is how and why men and women get trapped in addictions like this, specifically with pornography and masturbation. Why it's something... We have such a hard time quitting and giving up because I don't think it's a matter of willpower. I don't think it's a matter of if I were just a better Christian or had better belief or had more self-control or more willpower, then I would just be able to quit. Um, It's really coming from a place of wounding and from shame and feeling like I'm not good enough for a real man or woman. Therefore, I'm going to settle for these digital, two-dimensional images of men and women on the screen, and let them satisfy me, or satisfy myself, and uh, so that's something I'll talk about more in depth later, but back to my story, I was in 7th, 8th grade in Cape Cod, and obviously at that age, when you move across the country, you're really uprooted, thrust into a whole new friend group, a whole new Um, circle of people, way of living, everything is different, especially going from a western state like Colorado to a northeastern state like Massachusetts. The people are so different. The culture is so different. The landscape is so different. So for the first several years, I really struggled living on Cape Cod. I hated everybody. I didn't make any good friends Um, But the more I lived there, obviously, I settled in, and eventually, the summer of 2007, it was me and three friends, and it was one of those summers, I was 16 at the time, and it was one of those summers that you see in the movies, kind of like The Notebook, you know, if you've seen The Notebook, they have that summer together where they're so passionately in love, they're young, Uh, it's before he goes off to the war and they're separated, they just have that magical summer. This is what it was with me and my three friends. It was two twin girls and uh, my friend Zach. And the four of us did everything together all summer. And if you've never been to Cape Cod, it is the most beautiful place to spend a summer. If you're ever fortunate enough to spend an entire summer on Cape Cod, you'll know what I'm talking about. Where it seems like every single day is just perfect, straight out of a movie. You have the ocean, you have ponds, you have train tracks running through the forests and um, so much stuff to do. So much culture that's like, the Cape is just so alive in the summer and I can't even describe it. That summer will just always be the summer I look back on in my memory as just like that golden, vintage, beautiful summer um, kind of a coming-of-age, you know, if they made a coming-of-age story about my life, it would be on that summer. So anyway, me and one of those twin girls were really, really close. And then Zach and her sister were also really close, but they were always just friends. But whenever we would go somewhere, it was me and this one girl, Um, I'll call her Lila, Lila and I would always be together whenever the four of us were hanging out. We had so much in common, and I really think that the way she saw the world influenced the way I see it as far as art and music and beauty and the way you watch independent films you rent from the library and holding on to ancient stuffed animals because they're just so funny looking and Ever, the way she saw the world captivated me, and really kind of shaped, I think, the way I still think today, if I'm honest. And she went back to boarding school on Long Island in New York that fall. And at that point, we were still just friends, but we began exchanging letters. And I I do realize how poetic this sounds. Cape Cod and Long Island, and she went back to boarding school in the fall, we wrote letters And it really was. It was an amazing, beautiful time in my life. And so Lila and I were exchanging letters. And in these letters, I think we really began to fall uh, into the high school version of love, if you could say that. And it was just this amazing time, this incredible time of getting to know each other in a very deep, deep way. And it was... In December of 2007, so this is a semester after that beautiful, magical summer, my dad sits us down at the table and he says, so I've decided that we are going to move back to Colorado and I'm going to go back to my old church, where we, the one we grew up in, and work there again. And my brother was kind of too young to have any opinion on that but I was going into my senior year of high school I was a junior at the time and I had just spent five years establishing you know my friend group the people I had really kind of come of age with in middle school and high school and now I had this relationship which was budding with Lila and I didn't want to be even further from her because we were a semi-long distance it was a three-hour drive from Cape Cod to Long Island But when you're 16, that's a long way away. But, of course, New York to Massachusetts is much, much closer than New York to Colorado. Nevertheless, that January, my family moved back to Colorado. My dad got his job back at the church where I had grown up. And Lila and I eventually fizzled out several months later, just from the strenuous distance of Colorado to New York. And I think that ever since then, I've had this nostalgic longing inside of me for another relationship like that, that's as deep and artistic and poetic and beautiful as that relationship with Lila was. And it's something that I think I've tried to undo for a lot of my life, um, trying to rewire my brain to think not everybody is going to be exactly like her. Especially because the way I remember that summer is probably not how it was in reality. We always paint over our pasts with these really golden, beautiful brushes that make everything look like an 8 millimeter reel of film. And it wasn't really like that. But I think that that's something I've longed for for so long, and it really has shaped a lot of who I am today. Anyway, I've rambled on long enough about that period of life I graduated from high school in Colorado. And of course, I said, where do I want to go now that I'm free to go anywhere in the world? I want to go back to Cape Cod. So I moved back to Cape Cod, and I, I move in with these two guys. And we have a very interesting couple months living together. And long story short, one of them liked me, one of them didn't. And the one who didn't like me asked me to move out because he said I was too happy and friendly and it annoyed him. And so I said, okay. So I moved all my stuff into a family from church's house because they were gone for two weeks, so I was house-sitting for them. And three days after I moved all my stuff out, I get a text that the roommate who didn't like me had just burned the entire apartment building down and they had lost all of their stuff and it's kind of funny looking back on it now. But, yeah, I didn't lose anything in that fire. Um, He was trying to make fried Oreos, and the oil from the frying pan caught on fire, and everything in the entire building was damaged in their apartment and the lady who lived above them. And um, (laughs) so I eventually moved in with an older lady she was an older French lady and she lived in this really really nice neighborhood. It's like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Taylor Swift both own houses in this neighborhood on Cape Cod. And I got to have the entire upstairs of this French lady's home and she would always come out to me and say, "Ethan, I made you some ratatouille or Ethan, I made you some croissants if you want some." And so it was awesome living with her. It was a really another really sweet time of life living with forget her name, but this elderly French lady. It was fun. Sometime during that semester, my second semester of community college on Cape Cod, I heard about this organization called Youth with a Mission, or YWAM, for those of you who have heard of it. And I said, I want to go travel the world. So I sent out support letters and raised enough money to go do my school in Australia. And then that summer, I went to Australia, and that was really the first time where I encountered the power and the presence of a living God. See, I would grown up in the church where God was something you talked about, and it was historical, and it was relatively boring. Whereas with YWAM, these people were very charismatic, and they worshipped, in a sense that made you feel as if God were actually in the room with you and actually heard your prayers and could actually do something about them. So that was the first time I really began to say, okay, maybe these things I've grown up learning about are real and legit and powerful and effective. And that was really the first time I had ever come into contact with anything like that And these people were telling stories about miracles they'd seen firsthand and people being healed right in front of them. And I was like, what? This is kind of crazy. And of course, we went to Thailand, and that was the first time I ever firsthand saw a miracle happen right before my eyes. And I hate to say that I was one of those people who really needed to see something with my own eyes, before I could believe it, but that really is who I am. I was a very, a person of very weak faith. And we were in Thailand, we were in this jungle, in the middle of nowhere. Like, we drove for several hours on this dirt path to get up into these mountains, and we were in this village, and there are rice farmers up there, and the chief of the village comes to us and says, Hey, someone in our village is sick, can you come lay hands on him and pray for him? And I don't even know if they were a Christian village, but they knew that we were missionaries and we believed in God. And so we go into this guy's hut. His name was Jato. I still remember that. This is back in 2010. So we go into this guy's hut and he's lying flat on his back and he kind of has his hands in his armpits. And he's flapping around like a chicken while lying flat on his back. And he's just mumbling, 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 nonstop, just like going on and on and on. So to us, we assume he's just speaking Thai, but our translator looks at us and says, that's not Thai. I have never heard that language before. I have no idea what language that is. So we're like, okay. And none of us on that team had had any experience previously with demons or the spiritual world or like this kind of prayer. So we lay hands on this guy and suddenly he starts yelling. And our translator says, oh, he's speaking Thai now. He's saying... I can't feel my legs. I can't feel my legs. And so we were like, okay, that's really strange. And so we keep praying, and suddenly he starts moving his legs around. And now, what the tribe chief had told us is that this guy is sick. He's been in his hut for a month. He hasn't moved. He hasn't gotten up. He hasn't eaten, drank, or slept hardly anything. Um, he's just lied there, day and night, rambling on and on and on, in this language we don't know. So while we're praying for this guy, laying our hands on him, he starts moving his legs around, and after a little while, he starts shouting, They're gone! They're gone! Hararuya! They're gone! They're gone! Hararuya! In Thai, except he actually was shouting, Har-a-ru-ya! Har-a-ru-ya! It was It was awesome. And... He said he wanted to sleep and then eat and then be with his wife and he was in his right mind and he kept yelling, they're gone, they're gone. And he told our translator about how he had been seeing with his eyes demons in his hut sitting there day and night like berating him and assaulting him and he said he had no peace because of it. But now that we had come and prayed for him, Jesus had wiped the demons out And they were gone. They were gone. And he had peace. So I remember we got back in the back of the pickup truck and drove all the way back down the mountain. And I was just singing worship songs at the top of my lungs because I, for the first time, had seen and experienced firsthand the power of God to do something like cast demons out of the sky. After Thailand, my team went to India, and we worked with a lot of local churches there, helping them um, basically just do work on their buildings. We did some skits for a lot of people in the community, um, tried to share the gospel as best we could. But I've realized that when you can't speak the same language as someone, there really is a sort of limitation on how effective you can be there, which is why I really admire missionaries who dedicate years of their lives to going to people who don't know Christ, learning their language, becoming ingrained in the culture and the community, and being effective in that way. I don't know how much, and I know this is kind of a rabbit trail, but I don't know how much effectiveness you can really have in another country where you don't speak the language if you're only there for a month. That's kind of what I've learned from my own experience and what I've seen from other people's experiences. As millennials, we really just want to travel the world and, um, like, have these stories which are amazing for us and make us look pretty good, but I think that what we're really called to is effectiveness in sharing the gospel and, um, yeah, helping communities around the world by being a part of the community rather than just kind of showing up and then dipping out. So, After that, we returned to Australia, and then New Zealand, and then um, after that, obviously, I came back from those six months completely changed, and my life was so different, and I became a volunteer youth pastor at that time at a small church, and we just had a really awesome year there. And then we did a bunch of stuff, like um, started up a homeless ministry where we'd take the high schoolers downtown and just basically hang out and pray with homeless people once a week, and um, a lot of other stuff happened. And then I think what I'm going to do, because this is actually going a lot slower than I anticipated, is pause there, maybe in the next episode, pick up Ethan's Life Story Part 2, or maybe a couple episodes from now. Um, So as always, i love, love, love to hear back from you guys. The best way to do that is through my website. You can send an email directly to me, by going to ethanrenault.com and clicking the contact link at the top, sends an email directly to me, just say, hey, I'd love to hear you talk about this, or that was really boring, I don't want to hear any more about your life, or you should talk about more interesting topics. Um, The best way to make content you guys will appreciate and listen to is by you telling me what you want to listen to. (laughs) So, um, like I said, this one was just about me, as I'm getting it going, I'm really excited to have a lot of guests on who know a lot more about things than I do and will be able to talk about specific topics more and go in depth with them. And this was just kind of an introduction to Ethan Renault, who is the man behind the name. Um it's me. I'm actually not that cool. But thank you guys so much for listening. Um check out the YouTube channel. It's just Ethan Renault, same as my blog and um The music that you're hearing on this episode is by my friend Nick Lang. That's N-I-C-K-L-E-N-G. He's an amazing musician. He was a friend of mine when I lived in L.A. And, uh, yeah, he's super, super talented. Check him out on SoundCloud. That's Nick L-E-N-G. Really, really great guy. I love him a lot. So thank you guys so much for listening. And reach out. Love to hear from you. And I will talk to you all very soon.